You're listening to The Dollop. This is a bi-weekly American history podcast. Each week, I read a story from American history to my friend. Gareth Reynolds, who has no idea what the topic is going to be about. What is Jose doing? He's being bad. Come on. That, how was that bad? He just went up on He's the table. and knock some stuff over. Trust me. Where? Trust me. I know. I've I've read this book before. He was definitely given a like. I wonder if this falls kind of look. I wonder if this he, thing. That's falls. what they do. Their whole brain is like activated by like they'll tap something. I mean, he's yeah, mad. the little tail. Yeah, he's mad. Look at him. He's looking over at the desk. He's not mad. He's in business mode. He's closing he's not deals. A, he's, no, he's not. He's, he's now, in a he's, desk chair. Now he's far away from the desk, and he's like, well, this is bullshit. The whole you don't I... need to close deals. He's on Bluetooth. What? There will be no more questions about what Jose is doing. <laughs> God, you want to hit a dude? I'll do one buck. <laughs> people say this is funny? Not Gary Guerra. Dave, okay. Someone or something is tickling people. Is it for fun? And this is not going to become the Tickling Podcast. Okay. You are Queen Fakie of Made Up Town. All hail Queen Shit of Liesville. A bunch of religious virgins go to mingle. And do what? Pray. Hi, Gary. No. Nicely done, my friend. No. No. <laughs> October 20th. 1819. Okay. Daniel Sickles was born into an old, well-to-do New York family. His father was a patent lawyer and politician. It was expected that Daniel would follow his father into those professions. Okay. Uh, But as he grew, it became apparent he might not have the temperament for the needed education. Okay. (laughs) Although, totally could be said for my... I'm sure I have teachers who wrote that on my evaluations. I'm sure that's all my evaluations were. To farm connections and to settle his temperament, he was sent at age 20 to live with the DuPont family while completing his studies. Uh, DuPont, uh, the the patriarch, had been Lorenzo DuPont, a writer and Catholic priest. Even though DuPont took vows of celibacy, he still cranked out a bunch of kids. (laughs) Wait, it's not... I'm flinging it. I'm flinging it at it. There's no contact between this and that. It's so great. Uh, he would. He kept saying he adopted him. I know. I adopted this one too. I adopted it young. I put it in her, and here we are again. Another miracle. Daniel came to live with the family. Oh, oh sorry. I thought we were recording. Oh my god, dude! Shit. Your reaction was dynamite. <laughs> you were so worried. Um, so Daniel came to live with the family uh, a, a year after the uh, priest guy died. So he's living with all the kids of his. You know, one of the daughters, Maria, was the same age as Daniel, and rumors began that the two were having an affair. Okay. These uh, may have been helped because her husband was 26 years older than her. She had been married when she was 15. Oh, God. How was that ever a thing? So he's like 40. Ugh. I mean, How? We have so much in common. Adolescence. The list goes on and on. (laughs) You're an adolescence. I'm middle-aged. All right. Rather creepy. I looked at some of your drawings. They're great. Mm -hmm. Come to bed. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they had a three-year-old daughter named Teresa. Well, it's almost time for her to settle down. Their last name was Bagioli. So Daniel's studies improved as his parents had hoped. When the next uh, DuPont head of the family died, Daniel moved out of the house. First, he became apprentice apprentice and studied law in the offices of ex-U.S. Attorney General Benjamin Butler. 
An- wait. Okay. Dude, are we just here? This dude from the last. Wait. The next one? The next one? <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm sensing we'll hear about him it's, in the future. It's the same guy. Okay. And an apprentice is apprentice? No, he was just a he was just a printer's apprentice. A printer's apprentice. I think he said an apprentice. A he was an apprentice's apprentice. So uh, you're gonna want to make a bunch of copies and then bring coffee in there. Okay, so um, <laughs> you're gonna want to make a bunch of copies and uh, bring coffee in there when you can. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, and then I gotta get out of here at one fifteen. I'm golfing. Oh, okay. And actually, today the boss is gonna leave a little early uh, at one fifteen. He's golfing. Yeah, you heard. Yeah, he's going to be golfing. Yeah. He also, uh, Daniel also quickly picked up a reputation as a ladies' man. Okay. Particularly one who enjoyed prostitutes. Well, are you a ladies' man when you're just hiring whores? Boy, he's swimming in it, huh? What's your secret? I give them money. Constant flow of cash. The printer's office was near five points with 17 brothels nearby. Oh, my God. Daniel was, it's like weed stores. Daniel was actually considered, quote, a notorious user of prostitutes. That's not a ladies' man. I mean, I'm... Well, I mean... Daniel also became aware that he could pick up young and more innocent girls at the corner of Dwayne and Broadway. And as he worked and became more successful, he found the more fancy prostitutes were at the Broadway theater and the gallery. His love of prostitutes may have been why... Uh, he, in 1844, raised $1,000 for a political pamphlet that he never made. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Jane Funk was born... Jane Funk. We're jumping in. Was born on March... Eight, in, in March 1823. Bow, bow, uh, bow, bow, bow. a farmer in upstate New York. Her mom died when she was eight. She got a basic education and was considered a bit of a nerd. Then, when she was 17, she became a victim of what moral reformers considered to be a major social problem at the time. I'm going to hate this. A seducer. She became a seducer? No, she was a victim of a seducer. She was a victim of a seducer. Seducers were older men who seduced young, naive women, usually after promising to marry them. And after they had had their way with the young women, the seducers would leave them. The young women were then considered to be, quote, ruined. Oh, God. What? Uh, you know, it, like, well. If somebody put something in their a couple, th- A couple things. One. Uh, Somebody's uh, been there first. Uh, literally a seducer you should hear about and be like, oh, okay, I'm aware of that. Mm. Uh, but obviously, uh, but the idea that, yeah, like the idea that. I, I mean, not? again, like it's the same. It's it is this crazy double standard of just like oh, you think this is a double standard. Oh man, I've had sex with so many women. Way to go, Gerald. What about your wife? Caught her cheating. That whore. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, just the idea that someone's ruined. Because yeah, of, like the last thing now, like the last thing you want to sleep with is a virgin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which even makes which makes the idea of like suicide bombing to go get 76 virgins oh, in God. heaven like that is uh, like if you're I, I don't you think you could tweak their heaven a little bit the worst you know you're gonna get 30 virgins and then 36 whores <laughs> that's right see who you're hanging out with more pal i would rather have that they were uh so then these women were shunned by middle class victorian society and this being seduced by a seducer was the third most common cause of prostitution at the time 
because they're just rejected. So you would be sedu- you would be seduced, seduced and that your man. only option would be to basically go into a life of prostitution. Yeah. Right. I mean, no. That makes sense. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. You slept with a man, you're a whore. Okay, where do I work? Well, I guess there's a sh- place down the street. Uh, okay. So after Jane had been seduced and abandoned, she went to New York to stay with her brother, John, who was a carpenter. Jane got work at a hotel, but it was not working out. And in 1843, she started working at a brothel at 120 Church Street. She picked up, she picked the name Fanny White. Oh, boy. That is, mm, mm, I don't, uh, I mean, mean, you're English, so you're thinking of it differently. Yeah, okay. I think most people, uh, Fanny, I don't know if Fanny back then is a name or if she's really calling herself Pussy White. Because, <laughs> I mean, Fanny White sounds like something they sell at CVS. I mean, look, there's a lot of fucking English people coming over on boats now. So the idea that Fanny might be a common street name is very possible. Sure, sure. And I guess if you think about how long you're at sea, White could also be considered, you know, bragging <laughs> to some extent. Uh, and But Fanny did not have the air of victimhood that many of the other sex workers did. She was smart and she was beautiful. A few months later, she moved to Julia Brown's brothel. You know, downtown Julia Brown? Wait, wait. Fanny White went to a brown? Yeah. Fanny, brown, Fanny White went brown. Meet Fanny Brown. Julie Brown was the best-known prostitute in America and was in several popular tour guides. What? <laughs> this is such a weird... Like, huh? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. You know. We just, like... It's, at the time, so much crazy shit was taken so seriously... Yeah. And yet the idea that prostitution was like, put it on page two of the pamphlet of why to come here. <laughs> what do you mean? How do you spell come? Go see the Brooklyn Bridge, then a bunch of vaginas. <laughs> yeah. Come see the world's biggest thermometer. Then have your way with whores here. Fanny was very shrewd. And by 1847, at 24 years old, she was managing a brothel. That was also the year she met Daniel Sickles. Okay. Soon they had developed a romantic relationship, and he no longer had to pay for her services. By the way, she better keep her name. Fanny Sickles also sounds insane. Fanny Sickles, terrible. It's freezing down there. (laughs) (laughs) Though it was known, Daniel uh, did give her expensive gifts and cash. He just didn't have to because he was her man. Right. One night, how nice of him. Yeah. One night, Fanny's servant was accused of stealing money from one of Fanny's rooms. The servant was charged, but in court on the witness stand proclaimed, quote, You know, Miss White, all that I took was a bundle of keys from Daniel Sickles' pocket while both of you were asleep, and you know that I took nothing else. Everyone in the courtroom burst out laughing at the exposure of Daniel, and it was written about in the press. But Daniel didn't seem to give a shit. He already had no problem walking around with Fanny in public. None of this slowed down his public career. He opened a law firm and was admitted to the bar in 1846. He became part of the political machine at Tammany Hall. He groomed and used those political connections and in 1847 was elected to the New York Assembly. But he had, quote, tendency towards berserk and full-blooded risk. It's bold. That's not a great... It's a business card quote. (laughs) Wait, what? I'm insane. Give me a call. (laughs) That would be the best thing to put on a business card. <laughs> Tendency toward berserk and full-blooded risk. Leave a message if I'm not there. I'll call you back. Or maybe just shout at your door. And he showed that when he invited Fanny, he showed that when he invited Fanny to visit him while the New York 
State Assembly was in session. Whoa. First, he introduced her to a group of his fellow assemblymen during a brunch at the hotel. And then he brought her to the assembly chamber and gave her a tour. (laughs) The Whig members of the assembly were greatly offended that a prostitute had been brought into their chamber, (laughs) even though none could explain how they knew that she was a prostitute. Uh, uh, Um, I mean, she looked at it the the way she she uh, had a she has a face. She told she whispered it to me. She said, don't tell anyone. Uh, The assembly ended up censuring Daniel Sickles. Which is just kind of like a slap on the wrist, Yeah, right? it's like yeah. a, you're a bad boy. Right. But nothing she was, was like, am I? How bad? Am I? How bad am I? How bad am I? But nothing Fanny, was... get in here. <laughs> Bring the device. <laughs> but nothing was stopping Daniel. He was elected as a delegate to the Democratic National Convention in 1848, which just enabled him to gather more strong and powerful friends, including the Van Buren family. Okay. In 1851, Fanny bought a building and started her own high-class brothel. She listed the name Bagioli as the taxpayer on the property. This was Maria's husband. Okay. Remember Maria? No. The family he moved in with? Oh, okay. Um, No one knows exactly how this came to be or what the relationship of Bagioli was to Fanny or if there even was one. And their daughter, Teresa, was now a young teen. She was beautiful and being trained to be a wife and hostess at the Manhattan Convent of the Sacred Heart. Sorry, real quick question. If you were seduced, mm-hmm. how did people know? That I know. I thought of that when I wrote it. Like I guess that everyone thinks that when you when you take someone's virginity, there's like a popping sound or Yeah. What like <laughs> what sort of nonsense were they convinced was like I do I you know You have a scarlet letter on your taint where no that, one can see it. And that still goes on in a lot of cultures. Oh yeah. That this is still a thing. Dude, but in, from from what I understand, that's there's just no way to actually tell. In India, I mean the craziest like uh, uh if if a girl is raped, the the wiser play is to not tell anyone. Right. Because if you do tell someone, <sighs> then you need to prove it, and if you can't prove it, then you're a liar, and for the most part, they're just you're just never going to prove it. Well, this is this is. I think this is a less funny part of the show. Uh, yeah, this is this is what we like to call the serious halftime. <laughs> so, if anyone, if this wasn't sad enough, uh, well, so okay, so so now we have so you're right. We have women who who if they get seduced then they're ruined but then also this one this girl who's not ruined teresa is she's a teenager she's going to wife school you're right so we're just treating women great at this point yeah what like which truly which would you rather <laughs> honestly i would probably want to wouldn't you rather just be a, i mean honestly a prostitute out of, well out of those two i mean maybe. one seems like you're like you're rewarded for like being sort of i don't even want to like uh different and in the other, you can the, your <laughs> life. Your life is to your life is to sit there and be like, "That was amazing, Harold. More beef." I guess the worst part of being a prostitute back then is the fact that you can. There's no sure. protection. You can just sure. die from sure. Something. Yeah, sure. Daniel kept in contact with Maria and her family, uh, particularly 15 year old Teresa. Okay. Soon, young Teresa had a crush on Daniel. Oh boy. American lawyer George Templeton Strong said he uh, thought Daniel was just going to the house as a predator and was blackmailing Bagioli. And Daniel was soon enough courting young Teresa. Wow. 
In most political circles, this sort of behavior will be frowned upon and lead to him being tossed out. But the Democrats of Tammany Hall were down. Daniel was often proving his worth to the group. Uh, When a fellow Tammany Hall member was running for corporation council, which is like a city lawyer sort of thing, his opponents put a letter against the candidate in with the ballots and put them in the and put it in envelopes. Then the envelopes were all supposed to be mailed out. But Daniel got some of the Tammany Hall gangs together, drove several carriages into the post office, took over the building, ripped open all the mailbags, took out the envelopes, and burned them on the post office floor. Wait, therefore, like, so then they, there was no voting for... Right, but he also stopped the letter from going out. Right, okay. He was arrested, but through his connections, the trial was postponed indefinitely. Okay. Then, one month before the next presidential election, he asked Teresa Bagioli to marry him. She was 15, he was 33. Well, you know, it's time for her to settle down. Yep. Her parents at first were against it, but went along... Why? I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. That's so weird. He's a catch. Get her out of the house already. She's 15. She's rotting. Good Lord. Um, and they went along with it in the end. The couple was married in March 1853, and it was very apparent at the wedding that Teresa was pregnant. Oh, Jesus Christ. No. A local paper that always went after Daniel made fun of the situation. Uh, the two moved uptown and rented a house. And Daniel kept screwing other women. Teresa became aware of the rumors and was surprised that he was doing it with older women, particularly that he had not given up Fanny. Oh, and I, I let this part out, but apparently Fanny was furious when he got married. Yeah. He totally attacked him. Yeah, I would understand. And right around this time, his Tammany Hall uh, connections paid off when he was made the corporation attorney for New York City, which was basically a payoff. This meant he was going to get a lot of dough working for the city as an attorney. Okay. Next, he went to Washington to lobby. And while he was there, Teresa gave birth to their daughter, Laura. James Buchanan was offered the job of representing the U.S. and England, and he was looking for someone to work as first secretary while he was there. Oh, boy. Daniel was recommended. (laughs) Oh, no. He took the job. Oh, this is like a sequel. (laughs) Now he's in Europe. Uh, but baby Laura was too young to make the journey, so Teresa would not be able to come That's with. That's great news for him. He's like, oh, perfect. We'll Skype. Naturally, he invited Fanny to come with him instead. Oh, no. <laughs> so when Teresa was on the dock waving goodbye bye. to the pilot, she's like, bye, husband and his whore. Bye. Say bye to them. Don't be rude. In England, James Buchanan took a liking to Daniel and was very impressed with him. He did note that Daniel liked to spend money. Quote, Dan spends a lot of money, a great deal of money, but I find him a very able lawyer and of great use to me. <laughs> well, it's sure that's a little red flag. And Daniel was known for spending. He had been in debt for years and at this point was just moving debt around to stay above water. Okay. The main reason Buchanan and Dan were in London was to convince the British that the U.S. should be allowed to acquire Cuba by negotiating with Spain. Okay. So Cuba's got Spain. America's trying to get it to make it part of America. Sure. And these guys are like trying to grease the wheels with all the other countries. Right. Daniel would travel between well, Madrid. Well, now we just invade. Yeah. So much easier. I mean, eventually we did. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Daniel Surely. would travel between Madrid and Paris and London and the Netherlands working on the deal. And in between, he'd take Fanny to the theater and show her the sights. Now, Daniel had an enemy in New York named James Gordon Bennett. And three years before, some of Daniel's friends had attacked Bennett over an article he had written about them. 
Okay. And Bennett was horsewhipped brutally on a New York street in front of his wife. Jesus. I mean, whoa. It's a different time. Whoa. Is that? It's a different time. I mean, talk about unanticipated. <laughs> Look, I'm not going to fight for you. No, nah, we're going to whip you with a horsewhip. Wait, good. Ow. Here, you watch, lady. Oh, no. So he was not a fan of Daniel and his friends. <laughs> yeah. Did we did we lose you when we horsewhipped you in front of your wife? Yeah, it wasn't great, man. Yeah, that feels kind of when what our relationship splintered. We were gonna do noogies, uh, but then uh, yeah, I don't know. We just started spitballing, and we decided we we're gonna whip you with the whip for horses in front of your wife, your lovely wife. So, Danny was invited to meet the queen. <laughs> And he brought Fanny with him. Oh, boy. Wow. That is that's something. And at the reception. Oh, no. No. He introduced her to, he introduced her to the queen no. as no. Mrs. Julia Bennett. What? The Wait. Guy, the guy had been Horsewhip's wife. Wait. <laughs> Wait. Just, just, he went, it's just a full dick this move. This dude is just... Whew, he is just you know we caught, he's laying webs on webs. Remember said he engaged in risky behavior? Yeah. Was that an ad lib or was that planned? I don't know. But James Bennett was not very pleased. Yeah, wait, what? I don't remember meeting the Queen. He wrote about it in the New York Herald and it caused, caused quite a stir in the US, but not so much in England, which was fortunate because right as it hit the news, Teresa was arriving in London and Fanny was getting on a boat and going the other way. Wow. Teresa definitely... He was living that sitcom life, but with boats. Oh, my God. It's Three's Company. Yeah, he's Three's Company. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Teresa definitely heard about it, but she missed the storm. He's saying goodbye to one. She's like, why are you saying goodbye? I just got here. He's like, I mean... I'm waving hello. Hello, baby. Why are you yelling pussy at that boat and waving? Huh? No, 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 no. I'm just... No, don't worry about it. I'm saying goodbye to my friend. I hope he gets laid. Goodbye, Fanny. I'll miss your pussy. <laughs> All right. You hungry? Kid got big, huh? Uh, so Teresa pretty much missed the whole storm that uh, Bennett was causing in New York by writing up all the shit about what Daniel did with the queen. <laughs> and, but the whole time Daniel was away, people joked about his relationship with Fanny. After two years in London, his contract was over and he returned to the U.S. Nothing had happened. Cuba was still in the hands of Spain. And then Teresa and Dan moved to Lower Manhattan. Fanny White uh, was now seeing a wealthy man named Jake Leroy, who also had no problem taking her on his arm around town. But he had VD, which he gave to Fanny and, and his own wife. Ugh. Fanny was no longer a prized clean prostitute, although she would go on to marry a man who was a gold digger and tried to bang her niece. Eventually, she died at 37 of a stroke. An autopsy showed she had TB and syphilis. And extensive bleeding around the brain. Yeah. <sighs> Daniel handed over all his debts from London to the U.S. Treasury. That's a lot. That was a lot just happened to her fast. Okay. Yeah. No. I. I just. I just wrapped her up. Yeah. Like, I just figured I'd wrap her up. Yeah. So Daniel comes back with. He's basically got all his receipts, and he's like, "This is everything I spent in England." <laughs> and he gave it to the U.S. Treasury, and okay. they're like, "They're like, that's not how this works." Huh? Wait. Uh, Where's my per diem? So he owed tons of money in London, which he just blew off. Okay. Uh, but he didn't give a shit because he wasn't in London. It was like out of reach. So right. it just didn't yeah. matter. Uh, 
That's like when I I, I uh, had to get staples in my head in France once because I fell off my bike. Sure. And they sent me the medical bill, and I was like, well, with all due respect, this is not going to pay. <laughs> it was like nothing, but I was like, yeah, I'm not, I mean, no. Sorry, guys. These staples are free. Uh. So he started up his law business again, and they eventually moved to the suburbs. Dan, uh, Dan was next talked into running for Congress by Tammany Hall, and he did and won in 1856. James Buchanan was elected president in the same election. So Teresa and Laura joined him in Washington, and one of the interesting men in town at that time was District Attorney Barton Key. Many women considered him to be the handsomest man in Washington. He okay. was sandy-haired, 39 years old, and widowed. And his father had composed the Star-Spangled Banner. Wow. He had a lot going for him. Yep. You like that song? <laughs> my dad wrote it. Daddy did that. You know, you can put your hands on my hair. Swoon. Yeah. Um, so on the night of the inaugural, Barton met Teresa. The two bonded over their love of horses. After the 34th Congress concluded... <laughs> Daniel came over. He's like, I love horses, too. I like horses. Whores? Did you say Did horse? You say whores or horses? Or houses or whores? I like whore. I like houses. Not- it's loud in here. I hate this song, too. After the 34th Congress concluded, the Sickles moved back to their suburban home and Dan back to his law business. But he would still occasionally go to Washington on business. He was at his hotel one morning eating breakfast when he was handed a note for from... Brooklyn Navy Yard Engineer Murphy. I couldn't find his first name. Is he a wrestler? I hope so. Murphy accused Daniel of attacking his character, and Daniel wrote an angry note back saying Murphy's letter was, quote, apparently intended to deter me from duty as a representative. A few days later, Dan was sleeping when someone started pounding on his door. Oh, boy. He opened it, and there was Murphy holding a cowhide whip, now it's a cow whip. Sure. Uh, and he burst in. Daniel fought back and soon was throttling Murphy in a corner. And at some point, he asked Murphy if he was satisfied yet, and Murphy nodded yes. <laughs> Dan let him go, but kept the whip. But Dan did have a black eye, so he wouldn't be able to keep it secret, and he wrote a letter to the Secretary of Navy and had Murphy fired. Murphy responded by writing a letter to the Evening Post. Quote, Graduating from the worst sinks of inequity in the city, has led he has led the life of a professional vagabond, in debt to everybody, a fashionable row, R O U E. Yeah, that's a word. Row, yeah, despicable fella. Uh, a fashionable row with a degree of acquired smartness that belongs to men who are only bold and bad enough to challenge the laws of morality and to fight the easy virtue of frail women he stands before the public a disgraced and vanquished man and as such i take my leave of him wow so that he went, is he went public with that that's shit. a comeback <laughs> he didn't know he was messing with eminem that is <laughs> i didn't know you had mad flow all right okay okay all right my turn now <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna jump back in i'm gonna jump back in Congress went back into session, and this time Dan rented a big house he couldn't afford to entertain guests. <laughs> Always a good move. Uh, so, also, many men around this time became began to become enamored with Teresa, who was quite simili- simply becoming super hot. If you saw a picture of her, you'd be like, what? Nope, she's super hot. Like, you always see pictures of women, like, she was a beauty, and then you see and you go, no, she's pretty, but... 
bite, you know. Right. But then this, she, she's like just a like, timeless beauty. Yeah, she's like stunning. She's right. like really good looking. These men also. I know out. that's why I married her when she was a teenager. Most people back then, you look at the, they go, he was he was gorgeous, and you, and you look and you go, uh, yeah. I mean, he had a face. Yeah, were you? He yeah, had like a normal face. Yeah. Um, these men also saw her as they're starting to see her as neglected by her husband Daniel. Okay. The Did sickle- you think it had anything to do with the fact that she was neglected by her husband? Yep. The uh, sickles hosted. The top people in town, including often the president. And while Dan was busy in Congress, Teresa would make the social rounds in Washington. These events were also often attended by Barton Key. I remember him. Some of the women began asking if Barton was following Teresa around. Ha, 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 making jokes. I had a feeling that they were hooking up. Because when someone loves horses, you're like, this is rare. People who love horses always fuck each other. Barton Barton was sort of an acceptable escort of many of the women when their husbands were busy since he was a widower with children. The perfect cover. And Sue Barton was acting as Teresa's escort on occasion. For his part, Daniel was taking women to the Barnum Hotel in Baltimore and banging them. He was doing his thing. Right. Uh, Something tells me he's not going to be okay with Teresa's behavior. What do you mean? Yeah. People started to notice that Barton and Teresa were together not just in social situations, but in unexpected places. One of Dan's fellow congressmen was asked to look in on Teresa while Daniel was away, and when he and his wife did, they found Barton and Teresa in the study drinking champagne. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> when they left, the congressman's, congressman's wife said, quote, Mrs. Sickles is a bad woman. Okay. Great. How dare she? People also saw them riding horses together. Another young man who worked in the interior department had been in a tavern when Barton and Teresa came in soaking wet from a rainstorm. Barton got a room so Teresa could dry her clothes by the fire while he waited in the kitchen. But the man said Barton was not in the kitchen. Oh, where was he? In the Teresa? (laughs) You know what? I'm going to head upstairs and I'll be in the Teresa. The kitchen! Uh, Kitchen! 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 When word reached Dan about this incident, he asked the young man to come see him, and he interrogated him. The young man backed down, saying he not said he had not stated any of these facts about the kitchen or the clothes or anything. Dan then went to Barton and told him what the young man was saying around town. And Barton, for his part, was outraged by the accusations and said, oh. "This is the highest affront that could be off- offered to me, and whoever alerts it must meet me at the point of a pistol." But the discussion went back and forth between the young man and Barton and friends of Dan. And then on April 8th, 1858, a California senator decided to hold a costume ball. Dan became ill that night and decided not to go. So Teresa went alone, dressed as Little Red Riding Hood. Oh, boy, she's about to meet a wolf. (laughs) Barton was dressed like an English hunter. Okay. And the ball went on, and then the two of them left together at 2 a.m. Okay. Teresa told their driver, so, so there's a carriage, there's a driver, they have a carriage. There's sure. Like a, a steady, they have like a fucking chauffeur. Yeah. She told the driver to just drive around Washington. It was pretty obvious there was going to be some fingering or more in the back of the carriage. And after a while, the driver was told to drop Barton off. It turns out- Five stars, please, sir. <laughs> turns, out, turns out this was nothing new. 
The driver had been taking Teresa to different destinations for a while, and Barton was always there. Usually, Barton would spend some time in the carriage while the driver drove around. Barton also came to visit the house when Dan was out of town. One night, the driver heard them at one o'clock in the morning on the sofa in the study. Quote, I knew there wasn't no good work. I knew they wasn't at no good work. Boy, it sounds like he was lucky to have the job he had. <laughs> he was Scottish. Uh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like he's got the bloody work going. <laughs> Excuse me, what are you trying to say? Well, one night, I heard them on the couch, and let's just say everybody worked for that living. <laughs> Sorry. What? Just what I approached the window. Uh-huh. And I heard what can only be described as somebody quitting their job. <laughs> so, hope that's clear for everybody. No. I'm being very clear. I've said too much already. <laughs> I approached the window and everybody got a brand new resume. <laughs> okay. All right, glad that's cleared up. Um... Basically, they would also meet in the cemetery and disappear for an hour and a half. Like, she would have her driver drive her to the cemetery. This dude was like, can you just do it in the carriage? This is haunting. He's like, basically, they were just boning everywhere. Finally. Near this sparking fog. (laughs) Finally. Finally, the congressional session ended, and Teresa and Dan went home on July 1st. Barton Key saw them off and told them he would visit. And he did. <laughs> oh, man. That's uh, probably one of those things where she was like, visit if you want. Oh, okay, I will. Yeah, and then I Daniel just was like, yeah, sure. Yeah, if you're in the neighborhood. Yeah, I'll come. I'll be there tomorrow. I'll come. Great. We look forward to. I'm going to come. Hey, honey, you know, I'm thinking back on that conversation. Was it me or did Barton say, come a lot? When I think back on it. And he did. While Dan was Daniel was campaigning for the next election, he he actually visited twice because he said he was headed upstate. So he, he instead of just making the plan I'm coming to New York, he was like, oh, I'm passing through and then I'm coming back. Oh, uh, okay. Nice. Daniel won re-election and when they were and then they returned to Washington. And Barton Barton rented a house near the sickle. Jeez, this is a little does he he has no idea? No. It was so close to Dan and Teresa's house that you could see it. And a neighbor would often see Barton and Teresa going in and coming out. Okay. In the middle of the day. Now this was a mixed neighborhood, both black and white families, and pretty much everyone in the neighborhood knew what was going on. Everyone even knew the signals. Barton would come in and hang a ribbon in the window. So she could see from him his house, signaling that he was there and it was okay to come over. This is some Planet Earth stuff. And <laughs> the and male then... hangs a ribbon in the window, alerting the female of his interest in fornication. Her vagina opens. Slowly. People around town also started to realize what was going on and began to warn Barton he was putting himself in danger. You think the ribbon's too much <laughs> to give away? Meanwhile, Daniel was screwing a married woman who he would meet in the hotel in Baltimore. I love that it's all like that she she's living this torrid life. 
This whole story is about him of avoiding him finding out. Meanwhile, he's just banging everything. Yeah. He'd be livid if I found out I replicated his behavior. Now, then one night, Daniel and Teresa were at a party in Washington, and a messenger walked up to Dan and thrust an unopened envelope into his pocket. Oh, boy. Now, this is the time was code, and it meant do not open this until you get home. Yeah, okay. I would pick up on that code anyway. So when he got home, he went to his study and read the letter, which explained how his wife was screwing Barton and how he would put a ribbon in the, ribbon in the window, etc. Just fucking spelled the shit out. It was signed, Your Friend RPG. So he didn't, person did not say who it was. All right. The next day, Daniel went to the, the next morning, Daniel went to the street where he questioned all the neighbors and everyone had seen them and pointed to the house. Well, it's like I was trying to say before. <laughs> if, you lo- if you listen closely, it sounds like the two of them have been hired for the same job. Okay. Yeah, so I know this is tough to hear. No, it's not. It doesn't. It should be. It's not, it doesn't make They're any getting sense. the same job. Okay. They'll work at the exact same company. Okay. If you understand my drift. Exactly. I don't. It just sounds yeah. like they're working at the same place. Exactly. They're working at the exact same place. That's my point to you. That is, yeah. Okay. That's not a big deal. If you deal. need a shoulder to cry on, you let me I know. I don't. It's not a big deal. Yeah. It's just no. that's not yeah. a big deal. Right. Well, they they both are now employed there. Okay. 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 It was good talking to you. Hey, well, look, you've got strong character. I mean that. You're handling yeah. this unbelievably well. Okay. You're taking this bad news well. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, he's screwing her, so... What? All right, ta-da! What the hell did you just... Bye-bye, matey! So, Daniel asked a friend uh, to go stake out the house and see if it was her. So a guy goes (laughs) into... What? Like, okay. So now he's got a guy who's... Sure. It's like uh, the stakeout with Emilio Estevez... He's in the house, this guy's house across the street. Right. Richard Dreyfus. Daniel was so upset that he sobbed while he told told the guy the story of his wife cheating on him. Yeah, but your heart can only break so much after this behavior. Like you can't like I understand, but that is the That's your that's your that's your logical, sensible brain. Yeah. Saying, right. It's getting in the way of the dollop brain. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently he was just unaware he'd been boning a prostitute and married women during their marriage. Yeah. So he yeah. Anyway, uh, it's all confirmed, and Daniel confronts Teresa in their home. Okay. First, she fainted. Oh boy! And did that's, not, by the way, that's the best. <laughs> the, as bad as a confrontation Ooh. can go. <laughs> Have you been cheating on me? Yeah. Ooh. Bam. Uh, then she denied it, but by the end of it, she came clean about everything, and Daniel made her write a confession. Well, we're seeing that age difference. (laughs) And this is what she wrote. Quote, I have been in a house on 15th Street with Mr. Key. How many times? I do not know. I believe the house belongs to a colored man. The house is unoccupied. Commenced going there the latter part of January. Have been in alone and with Mr. Key. Usually stayed an hour or more. There was a bed in the second story. I did what is usual for a wicked woman to do, an intimacy of improper kind. I undressed myself. Mr. Key undressed also. We went to bed together. And since she admitted that they had... What has she admitted? 
Well, she just, I mean, that's, you know. That's yeah, I mean, I know, but like phony. legally, you'd be like, well, what did you do? Well, but. Well, I made a weird stew while we were naked. <laughs> I'm a witch. <laughs> and then we took a nap. We all know what it means. Okay. But we're all saying the same thing. And since she admitted they had done it in the Sickles home, too, he had her right. Mr. Key has kissed me in this house a number of times. I do not deny that we have had connection in this house, in the parlor, and on the sofa. Wow. I I mean, you've got to start using, look. Actual words? If you're ready to have a connection, I'm ready to have a connection. I'm ready to connect. I mean, that sounds like what Martians would say when they're ready to bed. That's what, that's what this time was. Are you sure you want to have a connection? I'm connecting right now. I'm almost done connecting. Um, no, don't connect through that one. Oh, sorry. There we go. Daniel made Teresa sign it with her maiden name. Oh, wow. Okay. There were two women visiting the house, and Daniel had them come in awkwardly and sign as witnesses. <laughs> um, we were just going to drop off this pie. I just wanted to say give you hi, pie. but I guess... Uh, no, thank you very much for the pie. Sign this letter that says my wife's a whore. Okay. Thank you right there. Put your John Hancock. Thank you. Speaking okay. of cocks, unbelievable. Hey, are you women single? I'll bang anything with a heartbeat. I feel weird. (laughs) Now you know how I feel. I'm broken up over here. Want to have sex upstairs? Can you believe this whore? Can I finger you in those those bushes? Can we? No. All right. Daniel then took Teresa's wedding ring, and he brooded around the house. He had a couple of friends come over. One found him face down on the bed, buried in a pillow, and he said, quote, I am dishonored and a ruined man. I cannot look you in the face. And now he's just a cuck. Wait. Right? Is that the word? He. This is amazing. <laughs> well, I think there are plenty of people that cheat and then get upset when their spouse cheats. Yeah. but Even you today, it's super common. Uh, yeah. But it's still not okay. No, it's not okay. It's yeah. ridiculous. That morning, Barton woke and went. On his usual routine, which meant waiting to bone Teresa. I'm going to put the, well, going to make a cup of tea and put the ribbon up. <laughs> What's your plan today, Barton? Well, I put the ribbon up, so I'm going to wait to bang and then we'll see what happens. I mean, I'm going to have a connection this afternoon. I mean, so. this guy was an attorney general, so he would go to work and then in the middle of the day, he'd be like, I'll be gone for three hours for fucking and then walk around near his fucking friend's house and go bang his wife. <laughs> Barton kept walking around the Sickles neighborhood all day long. Oh, man. He was spotted about eight times walking this way and that. Hey. He was signaling Teresa because he kept twirling a handkerchief. Oh, dude, it's just, he's dying. He's dying. And you can see the male now is getting frustrated with the female. He knows that she's not allowed to leave her new habitat. But he still is trying everything he can. Though... It will remain futile. <coughs> so she's not coming to the window because she's, you know, locked in her room or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's grounded. <clears throat> and then finally, Dan, Daniel saw Barton. Oh, hey. From a window. Hey. Hey, white fucker. Hey. Can he, Teresa see this uh, handkerchief? Daniel rushed downstairs and yelled, quote, that villain has just passed my house. My God, this is horrible. <laughs> it might be the best quote of all of our dollops. <laughs> I mean, he sounds like an actor. I know, it's crazy. My God, this is horrible. And he threw his flowers on the floor. <laughs> Daniel went out and confronted Barton. 
All this happened in Lafayette Square. The president could have seen it from the White House if he was looking out the window. (laughs) I wish he had. Daniel yelled, Key, you scoundrel! You have dishonored my house! You must die! And he shot at Barton, but he missed. Okay. Then he stepped into the street and dropped the gun. Barton then lunged at Daniel, who pulled out another pistol. Ah. And Barton Barton backed up and yelled, Don't murder me! Then he took out his opera glasses and threw them at Daniel. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Well, you know, before you showed me how big of a pussy you are, I wasn't going to. Here, take my opera glasses. <laughs> I threw his anchor. My money clip. My pocket watch. Un- my monocle. More unrelatable items to heave your way. You, this is my coin purse. <laughs> Uh, so Daniel fell to his knees and then he shot Barton in the upper leg and Barton said I'm shot and staggered around so this is a play this is a play there's also a ton of people watching because it's in the middle of a fucking right. main square right he asked Daniel not to shoot him again well that what are you gonna th- I'll throw more opera glasses I, at I, you I feel like we're done I feel like we're done look I threw opera glasses at you you shot me I'll throw my purse <laughs> Barton then fell to the... Let's do one where you throw the opera glasses and I'll shoot. (laughs) For variety. Barton then fell to the pavement and Daniel moved closer closer and shot Barton in the chest. Some men then ran and came between them and Daniel said, Is the scoundrel dead? He has violated my bed. Uh, He's now like a Dr. Seuss. Right. (laughs) Like a betrayed Dr. Seuss. So... Barton was taken to a nearby boarding house where he quickly died. A page, a, a White House page, who had been, uh, who had seen it, ran back to the White House and told the president, who responded, quote, I was afraid it would happen. <sighs> Everybody knew. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. Even the president's like, ah, oh, that fucker. Uh, was the ribbon up? Being the president of the United States, he naturally told the page to flee instead of being a witness. <laughs> Okay. Interesting. Quick, get out of here, kid. Well, change your name and move. Daniel went home where a couple of cops found him. The mayor and chief of police came to his house and Daniel handed over the opera glasses. <laughs> Barton had thrown it at him. Wait, he seriously thinks that's what this is about? I suppose you want these. Here you are. This is what he tried to kill me with. So, as you can see, we were both in absolute peril. <laughs> uh, yes, but I shot him in the chest again after he threw the opera glasses my way. Fair fight. So so Daniel turned to go upstairs, and the cops weren't sure whether to let him go because Teresa was up there, and he might hurt Teresa. But Daniel agreed. Wait, wait, what? <laughs> There's reason, the reason to not let him go is because he murdered a man. I don't know. <laughs> okay. But Daniel agreed that he wouldn't hurt his wife, so they let him go upstairs. Well, Dave... Daniel went upstairs and looked at Teresa and said, quote, I've killed him. Now, there's no, there's no, nobody wrote down what she said or did because she was the woman. And at this point, they didn't care. Right. Now, Daniel's, uh, Daniel Sickles confessed and surrendered and was put in jail. Pretty much everyone who was anyone in town came to visit. Senators and congressmen stopped by and wished him well. The Wait, president- was he in a sickle cell? <laughs> Yes. Okay. 
Pretty much everyone who's anyone came to visit. Congressmen, senators, they all stopped by, wishing him well. The president sent him a note. Hey, man. Hey, hope you're doing crazy, okay. Crazy what you did. Oh, fuck. What a day, huh? Hey. I was just talking to Russia, but it's all the same. Whatever. Sorry about the glasses. So many people were coming to visit Daniel that he was given the use of the head jailer's apartment to welcome them. Okay, so he's not in jail anymore. <laughs> Who's the head jailer? You know what? I'll take the cell. You go live where you go live with my family. Someone wrote, and I couldn't verify it, but someone wrote that he was allowed to keep his gun. But I cannot believe <laughs> what? that. What? I cannot believe that. Okay. Uh, and big shot lawyers stepped forward to defend him. Of course. One would go on to become the Secretary of State. So even though he had confessed, his lawyers came up with a never-before-attempted defense. Well, Dave, these are always pretty good. They claimed that he had been driven temporarily insane by Teresa's cheating. You know, that's pretty good. <laughs> that's pretty good. For, for these, that's pretty good. Yeah. Now 1% of cases. Yeah. The newspaper. Yeah, there was like a nice like heyday of the insanity plea where it was like, oh. well, I guess he was insane. People still try it all the time. Yeah, but not. But it was like effective for a little while. Oh, People yeah. were like, he was. He was temporarily mad. Uh, all the newspapers were on board. They wrote that Daniel was protecting other innocent women from the lustful Barton Key. Wait. He's a serial fucker. Barton, to be clear. Barton. Not Daniel. Not Barton. Daniel. No. Uh, a seducer, if you will. Uh, and I will. Soon, Daniel was a hero to the general public. Amazing. It also helped that Daniel started a campaign against his wife in the press, convincing them she was a harlot. He used the confession she had written by force. She wrote this on her own. Daniel was seen as the victim. Amazing. And Daniel Sickles became the first person in the U.S. to be acquitted by reason of temporary insanity. Wow. Good Lord. When it happened, the crowd in the courtroom erupted into thunderous applause, Ugh. and a new legal precedent was set. A good one. Around the country, newspapers proclaimed that justice had been done. And when Daniel was released, everyone who was in support of him, everyone was in support of him. He's like this fucking hero. Yeah. Until he announced that he forgave Teresa, and they were going to bury the hatchet, and that their, quote, love is greater than ever. Oh, wow. Now, that was not a smart move. The public turned on him instantly. Oh, boy. He went from being a national hero to being loathed. I was temporarily insane again. <laughs> that was another bout of my temporary insanity. I keep doing it. Okay. Even as old- I might have just been insane that whole time, and it wasn't that temporary. Right, or double temporary insane, which is a thing now. Okay. Did it happen to me? No more questions. Even his old friends in New York would have nothing to do with him. He was now completely disgraced. Okay. He wouldn't run for re-election and was soon unemployed. But then, the Civil War broke out. Huh. Daniel saw this as a way to get back in the good graces of his nor fellow Northerners. Due to his background as a militia leader in New York back in the day, he petitioned the, gov the New York governor for permission to raise eight companies of volunteers. The governor granted his request. Okay. Using his old connections at Tammany Hall, Daniel started signing up men. He contacted newspapers for press coverage and said the unit would be made up entirely of selected Democrats. Okay. It took just two weeks before the companies were full. The governor then gave Daniel 
authorization to recruit an additional four regiments to form a brigade. Okay. Now, one of the main reasons behind all this recruitment was that whoever recruited a unit was likely to become the commander and even more likely to become a general when the fight was on. Okay, so he's really, he wants the credit. Yeah, he's looking for a credit. Right. Uh, this was Daniel Sickles' main drive for putting together this force and entering the war. Sickles used all his connections, getting old friends and military experienced men to come on board. He talked an independent regiment into joining through his Tammany Hall. What else was their plan? What? The independent regiment. I mean, well, they could, they could go fight on their own or join up with a different one. Like yeah. they're, they're in, in, they're an indie label, so they can, all the big labels are trying to sign them. Sure. I'm just saying when it comes to battle, it might be time to get behind Geffen. Yeah, but you might not want to get behind Geffen when you can get behind Bill Graham. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think we're both a little lost on that one. (laughs) I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I don't think Sub Pop should sign with Geffen. (laughs) No. I just don't think. Follow Mud Honey. What is this? (laughs) Through his Tammany Hall connections... He got firemen to join who made up a regiment. During this time of crisis, it looked like his insane past was forgotten. He was now a man doing everything he could do for the cause. Okay. In New York. But there was one problem. The rest of the country wasn't on board. Daniel was a Democrat and had always been a northerner who sided with the slaveholders. It was pointed out he was clearly doing this to reform his image that New York's economy replied relied on Southern merchandise, and that he was from corrupt Tammany Hall. His brigade then began to be depicted as morally bankrupt. A cartoon appeared in a Baltimore newspaper that showed the sickle brigade surrounded by madams, liquor stores, and cheap cigars as they were recruited in the five-point slum. The recruits were depicted as Irish or blacks who were considered to be the bottom of Northern society. Good. And then Daniel made it worse by calling the brigade Excelsior. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> a, well, there's a reason for it. Hey, it's kind of like when Tiger Woods posted that picture of Mac Daddy Santa. You were like, "Did you see that?" Mm-mm. Oh man, he posted this picture of himself like shirtless with like this oh. weird Santa hat on and like these glasses, and so you can like see his nipples. Uh. And he's like, "My kids love it when I do this," and everyone was like. Look, Tiger, nobody really <laughs> likes you anymore, and that made us like you less. Hey, that's worse than anything. So don't check in like this anymore. That's amazing. He was like, but wait, there's more. <laughs> this group is called Excelsior. Well, okay, that's the that was the New York State motto. Okay, um, I guess context helps a little. Which gave the implication that this was the official state brigade. Okay. The people upstate were complaining the brigade was made up just of city Democrats. Okay. Because they're all Republicans. Sure. And they were resentful, and they didn't want to know. Uh, they didn't want a known murderer and <laughs> scoundrel to to lead the Excelsior. Excelsior. Uh, the governor then ordered Daniel to disband thirty-two of the forty companies he had raised. Okay. Daniel was furious. He would now not be eligible for a general star. And he didn't think the governor should have any say. Lincoln had been the one who called for volunteers, and Daniel had responded. The soldiers reported to Daniel. It was between him and Lincoln. So, 
Daniel went to Washington no. and met with Lincoln. Wow. Because his wife, Lincoln's wife was friends with Daniel and Teresa when they were oh, right. back in the day. Right. So he pushed the president to federalize the brigade and take control from the governor. Now, Lincoln's in a bind. He needed the men, but he also needed the governor backing him. So he told Daniels to go back to New York and just train his men. When Daniel got back, he was even more furious because the brigade was a mess. The men were all over City Hall Park. They were hungry, dirty. Many of them were drunk, and they were unruly. Hey, we saw that cartoon and decided to go with it. <laughs> so. We're living the tune, baby. We're li- the- That's what we're saying here. So. Living the tune. Well, the problem is that you were gone and we saw the cartoon and we were- it was like, we're going to just live like that. Yeah, you like whores. Oh, hey. you're that, Daniel. Hey. Hey, man. So Daniel marched them down uh, to Crosby Street and got them all haircuts and shaves for 10 cents each. That'll show me up. He then had them transported to a racetrack in Queens, which would now be their new campground. And there they were militarily trained. But it wasn't working. There were still too many distractions in Queens. So he moved them to Staten Island, where they were surrounded by a marsh. Meanwhile, New York- All right, let's see a gambler have sex with that marsh. Meanwhile, New York had said they should be broken up and refused to pay for the brigade costs. All the bills were going to Daniel, so he owed hundreds of thousands of dollars. It'll be fine. It'll Mexico be fine. will pay for it. I got my own army. Mexico's, Mexico's got this one. The men were obviously not being paid as they were in limbo between state and federal government, so they started deserting. One entire company tried to leave and join a Pennsylvania regiment, but Daniel had them brought back to the camp by gunpoint and sentenced them for desertion. Okay. So that's an execution. Oh, God. (laughs) But he postponed the execution and was sued by the company's captain. Eventually, they were all allowed to leave, and all their paid uh, travel expenses were... He paid all the travel expenses. Basically... He really backed down. He didn't have any authority at all. Right. The soldiers had never been sworn into the armed forces, so the military discipline did not actually apply. Right. Legally, there was nothing keeping him there. Oh, and he's calling himself general. <laughs> okay, good to know. So. Okay, hey, fake general, we're going to take off now. Is that cool? Hey, I don't know if his insanity ever faded. I'm going to have you all killed. Um, uh, this is play army, dude. Uh, I'll pay for your travel. Okay, fair. <laughs> Never negotiate a negotiator. By June of 1861, it was about to fall apart, but then Lincoln's need for soldiers proved too strong. It's like a movie. And the troops were federalized. Okay. Now the government would pay for the soldiers' upkeep and provide equipment, but he still owed all the th- $100,000. Th- uh, sure. So it didn't help them with the creditors, who were now coming to the camp and demanding their money. Uh, shoot them! They're Southerners! Then word came that the Union Army needed men to protect Washington, D.C., and Daniel's brigade departed for the South. As far as all the debts, he left behind his main partner, Captain William Wiley. His job was now to find money to settle with the creditors. Oh, my God! Uh, who doesn't want a partner like that? Hey, Will, you just stick yeah. around and find a bunch of money. Uh, uh like 300000 I got to go with the boys. Wait, wait. Sorry. Can I say yep. one thing? Yep. 
It feels like you're having all the fun and you're getting Oh no, you get to you get to find money. Oh, I didn't look at it like that. Okay. I give it to people. All right, bye. <clears throat> uh that's all Captain William Wiley would do for months. Daniel never offered to help and Wiley eventually came to hate Daniel. I'll kill him. In D in DC, Daniel's command was iffy. Generals <laughs> needed to be confirmed by the Senate. That was usually no big deal, but Daniel was not a normal case. Sure. Republicans remembered him as a legislator who had opposed them on slavery. Plus, he was a hothead slash murderer. Yeah. They even wondered if he would take the brigade and go fight with his friends in the Confederacy. Right. Okay, so not a lot of trust. He was not confirmed throughout the summer and fall. Meanwhile, Daniel spent... All his time away from his troops, lobbying Congress for a vote to make him a general, just dealing with his own personal. Come politics. on, that's why I'm doing. I mean, uh, let's. That's let, why let's, I'm here. Come on, please. In February 1862, a reporter and old friend of Daniel and Teresa submitted parts of one of Lincoln's speeches to the New York Herald. The connection between the reporter and the speech was Lincoln's wife, who was friends with him. Congress was getting ready to investigate the first lady and the reporter, which would have caused a lot of damage to the president. But Daniel came in and saved the day. He represented the reporter as legal counsel and talked a White House gardener into testifying that he had seen the president's speech on the president's desk and memorized it word for word and given it to the newspaper. Wait. (laughs) Go on. No, you you go on. Run me by that one more time. So he found a gardener. But but the the okay wait a White House gardener. Yes, but but the speech. So what's in the speech? Well, because it's wartime. Who know? I don't know what's in the speech, but it's wartime, so you can't be having the speech get out before it's ready to get out. Oh, so okay, so he. So this so sort of like inventing blackmail on the White House lawn. Yes. Yeah, so the lady, the the first lady, gave gave it to this reporter who had some printed. Right. And then to get him out of it, so he he's a, creating. He a, had a gardener. He's creating a a gardener who, for some reason, was just kicking around the president's desk for an hour or so. Memorized the letter. Went to the paper. Yeah. And was like, "Hey, write this while I got it." <laughs> Come on, guys. I don't know how long it's going to stay in the old dome. Come on. I'm a gardener. I can't even read, but I know this. All right. Here we go. Um, it was one of the most obvious bullshit stories ever, but it worked, and Lincoln avoided a scandal. Wow. Daniel assumed... So let, let's just understand that America has been bullshitting people forever. Well, yes. Uh, it's... Uh, yes. Daniel assumed he would now be made a general. <laughs> Dude. He was not. Ah! So Daniel decided the thing to do would be to go win some battles, and they'd have to make him a general with all the positive press coverage. This guy, he might actually become a great battle general because of how bad he wants to be a general. Well, so he takes his brigade, and they all get on ships to take them to the Virginia Peninsula. Okay. And as they're on the ships, Daniel learned the Senate had voted on his generalcy. Had? Yes. Okay. They voted no. Damn it. <laughs> At that point, the divisional general took over command and ordered Daniel off the ship because he was no longer part of the army. Oh, come on. 
Daniel's attempt to rehabilitate his reputation was a total failure. Oh, God. I mean, it ends more disgraced. But he wasn't done. Oh, good. He spent April in Washington constantly reminding Lincoln of how he had helped him with the scandal. Remember? I did the thing remember? with the gardener. The gardener? I remember. Don't make the gardener lie. Uh, you the gardener shut come up back about and say it. Shut up everything. about it. Gardener could come back. I understand. Why was the gardener in the house? I, he wasn't. What about the fact that Gardner can't read? Okay. What do you want to do? I take off my big hat and beat the hell out of you. Beat the hell out of you, General. Shut up! You're good. Uh, meanwhile, Daniel's brigade fought and lost a quarter of the men at the Battle of Williamsburg. Due to Lincoln's pushing on May 13th, 1862, the Senate voted... To confirm Daniel's rank of brigadier general. All righty. The vote was 19 to 18. Oh, my God. He was now brigadier general Daniel Sickles. Uh. Put in command of the Excelsior Brigade. All right. Off to made up land. <sighs> so he commanded in battles at Fair Oaks and the Seven Days Battle, but he missed the second Bull Run Battle because he got there too late. Well, listen. How'd you guys do? Huh? Oh, everybody's uh, dead. Oh, boy. It seems like everybody's dead. So it went bad, it smells like. Well, Gettysburg made Daniel. Okay. There, he disobeyed orders and moved his troops out of position by a mile. Okay. This weakened the Union line and caused Lee to, generally, the Confederate. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, Lee to focus his attack on Daniel's men. So because his men were so out of place. Wait, but. Lee was like, what are these guys doing? And he focused all of his. Not his intention, though, right? Well, that wasn't his plan. No, his plan was like, we'll go over here. Yeah. And then all of a sudden there's these guys out of place. And he's like, that shouldn't be. And so he attacks. Low hanging fruit. Let's eat that. Uh, His Daniel's brigade was annihilated because they were exposed at all sides i would i mean hopefully he was just shouting excelsior but this move may have helped the union because generally had not expected it and when he focused his troops on daniel's men instead of where he originally intended it threw off his well-planned strategy right and blunted the confederate advance he got greedy it's still open debate but that's what a lot of people think right okay but Daniel's idiocy ended at Gettysburg with one of his legs being blown off during the battle. Yeah. After the leg was cut off, Daniel headed straight for Washington as soon as he could move. And there he made sure his version of events were in all the newspapers. And he was the first one to bring the news of the horrific battle of Gettysburg to the press. But how is he, like, how is anybody... In a couple of ways, he doesn't have a leg to stand on. <laughs> right? I mean... I mean, yeah. Like, he's coming... Like, you're just like, aren't you the insane guy who just is people crazy it, and lies? It doesn't and, matter, man. People get the news. They're fucking... You know how news... We, we see how the news works now. They get it. They run with it. No, no, no. The news now is just, like, the evaluator. I mean, they, they do a great job of letting us know what's actually happening in our True. world. 
True. You know, and they're not focused on uh, the wrong thing at all. No. Yeah. They got the eyes, eyes on the prize. Eyes on the prize. What matters is that literally you have a breaking news graphic on 24 hours yeah. a day, seven days a week, yeah. as impossible as that is to, to be do. actually happening. Yeah. So this is what happened back then, too. So the first thing people read was how Daniel Sickles was the hero of Gettysburg. So, so he's like labeled himself the king of pop, and everyone was like, he is. Between his heroism, his lost leg, and a few well-placed politicians, the military's call for him to be court-martialed for blatantly disregarding orders during the Battle of Gettysburg were halted. Wow. So the military wanted him Yeah. fucking ruined. Yeah. As a cherry on top, after the war, Daniel claimed the reason for his positioning at Gettysburg was because he believed General Meade was a coward and was going to take his troops and run away. So now, so now for his fuck up, he's throwing, he's throwing another dude under the bus. Yeah. So the main general under the bus. Okay. <laughs> All right. So he said he advanced to make General Meade fight. And he said he did it to sacrifice himself and his men to blunt the Confederate onslaught. Oh, uh, that's just... It's like, you know, the the movie The Room? Yeah. That's what it's like. <laughs> right? Like, for anyone who doesn't know, like, The Room is, like, the worst movie ever yeah, made. Ever. And it's just full of, like, technical errors and terrible acting and, I mean, just so many holes. And yeah. it's become this cult thing. And so the director, who initially was trying to direct this uh, in his head, was directing his opus, this amazing film. Yeah. Now, 10, 15 years later, is like, yeah, so, like, I made an amazing comedy. Right. And you're right. like, no, no, dude, you no. don't get to own no. that. No. A negative, sir. So now he's like, well, what I thought was that a lot of the men would die, but God, what decoys. He actually testified against General Meade in front of Congress. <laughs> wow. Surprisingly, Teresa and Daniel did not work out. Wow, that's crazy. They were together briefly. Did he try hanging a ribbon? <laughs> they were together briefly. After the trial, but soon were estranged, and she died in 1967, oh, sorry, 1867 of tuberculosis. Daniel continued in the military until 1869 in various positions. He was then appointed the minister to Spain, where he was <clears throat> said to have had an affair with deposed Queen Isabella II. Wow. <laughs> he ended up marrying the very young Carmina Cray, the daughter of a Spanish politician, and they had two children. Moving back to the U.S., he was the sheriff of New York and once again elected to Congress. He was also chairman of the New York Monuments Commission, but then was forced out when it was discovered he embezzled $27,000. I thought he was going to be banging some of the statues. Every, every principal senior general who fought at Gettysburg was memorialized with a statue except for Daniel Sickles. <laughs> when he was asked why, he said, quote, the entire battlefield is a memorial to daniel sickles Ugh. <clears throat> in 1897 <sighs> after years of lobbying daniel sickles was given the congressional medal of honor for his acts of bravery during the civil war oh my God. <laughs> he 
He lived the rest of his life in New York and died May 3rd, 1914. He was 94. The bone from his amputated leg can be seen in the National Museum of Health and Medicine. The bone? Yeah, the bone, because they cut off the leg. Yeah. I don't know why they saved the bone. Yeah. it's Well, they probably saved the leg, and then the flesh fell off. They were like, here, keep this. We'll make a wish later. I guess they did that with generals back then or something. I don't know. Yeah, but even then, they would be like, yeah, but it's not like a general's leg. It's this fake general. So he's a peach. Yeah, real good guy. Um, yeah, I guess that, that that might be the American dream we keep talking about. <laughs> it seems pretty close to like what it actually is instead of like, hard work and kindness will get you far. It's like, uh, lie, 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 push, push, push. Just be a narcissist. Okay? I mean... Whoever shouts loudest wins. It's just failing up and... Such a spectacular fashion. Yeah, it's uh, an interesting time back then. Right, interesting time back it's then. Different now. Um. Yeah, it's so uh, like. <laughs> I don't know. It is. It is. It is. It is strange that we have always been this. Like it's that easy to manipulate us. I mean, yeah. Uh, Seriously. That's all I got. That's it. Um, Go Packers. Go Packers. Pack attack. Yep. Get a snack. It's time for Don't a rhyme it. Just hit the, hit the stop thing. Put a snack in your pack. It's time for a backpack attack. Hey, definitely delete the last part. Packer? Delete all this. Or shacker. What? We're going to rack her. All right, I'm out of here. <laughs> oh, hey there, everybody. It's Gareth, you know, from this uh, this podcast. Uh, listen, I've got some stand-up shows. I'm inviting the Garmy, the Gareth Army, to join me for. I will be in Fort Collins, Colorado, August 18th and August 19th. I will be in Minneapolis, Minnesota, August 24th through August 26th at Acme. I will be going to the UK in September. Please join me. I will be in Glasgow September 13th, London September 15th, Dublin September 17th, and September 19th, Manchester, Birmingham September 20th, Bristol September 22nd, and Cardiff September 24th. And then in November, I'll be in Australia. November 10th, almost sold out, I think. I'll be in Melbourne, Australia. Then I will be in Northbridge, Australia on November 15th, Adelaide November 16th, Canberra, November 17th, Brisbane, November 18th, and then I will be in uh, Sydney on November 24th. Go to GarethReynolds.com for tickets. Garmy, let's get at it after it. Let's see you there. Hey there, people listening to The Dollop. Uh, this is Gareth. Yes, the same guy. I Listen, I have a new podcast called We're Here to Help that I'm doing with my friend Jake Johnson. It's basically a call and advice show where we don't say that we're professionals because we aren't, but we try to help people with problems that are important to them. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts, and it is out right now. So go listen to We're Here to Help with Jake and Gareth. We're here to help with Gareth and Jake. I don't remember how we did it, but either way, fun. Half Hour comes out Tuesday, August 22nd, and episodes will be out every Tuesday and Friday. We're here to help 